It's been a while, uh, 20 years, but it's my privilege uh, to be a part of your lives in this way tonight. I'm going to tell you um, a couple of personal stories, uh, and we're going to look at the Word of God, uh, Genesis passage. They'll put that up in a minute uh, when I ask for it. But really, what I want to talk about is how God calls us, and He tugs at us, and he pulls us into a new relationship with him. You know, there's that burning desire in us all to do more, to be more, to get more, to excel, to learn. There's that, and, and it really comes from the prevenient grace of God, that grace that goes before us, that puts in our heart to long for something more. I was born... Uh, it's a little bit about me. I was born with a, I don't know, somewhat common ailment, um, a little physical problem. It's, it was called, uh, well, it's called strabismus and metatarsus abductus. Now, for those of us who live in Willis, that means I was cross-eyed and pigeon-toed. <laughs> I had to, I had to, wear these shoes that had these metal braces that went between the shoes and they had a hinge a hinge in the middle of them so you could walk like this okay to hold your feet in the right position i don't know if any of you have experienced that or know someone but if you have you would notice that that small child wanted to do everything any small child wants to do. My two-year-old granddaughter, my daughter's here, uh, Lauren uh, has come, thanks for being here. I'm gonna talk about you actually a little bit later. Um, just giving you a little forewarning. But, but you put these shoes on and like any toddler, two, my four-year-old grandson is running and jumping, he's all over the place, but I wanted to do the same things. But you put a metal bar in between your shoes and you try to run and what happens? You fall flat on your face and your knees. And so I would run, I would see something, I would go and I would fall down. I would fall over and I'd get back up and I'd try it again and I'd fall over. What was, what was uh, I guess, good, <laughs> my parents never coddled me. They'd let me run and fall, help me up, I'd run and fall. And to add to that with the strabismus or the, the double vision, I was running into things at the same time. So if I was up, I might hit something. It was quite a childhood from age two to five until that fifth year when I had the surgery and, and it began to correct my eyes. And then all I had to do was sometimes wear patches over both eyes. But anyway, anyway, I made it and I told Teresa today, uh, I said, you know, I was able, I grew up and I was able to run just fast enough to always be it in a game of tag. Get it? Okay? Okay. All right. Hang with me a little bit. But God never, never um, took away that desire, even though I kept falling. He never took away that desire to run, to do more, to be more, to grow. That, that, that broad draw that God has on all of us. And then there's another type of drawing or calling that God has in our lives, and it's more specific. 
And that's what I want to talk about really tonight, is that specific call of God that's a deep desire within us that says, move out, step forward. I want your life to be better than it is right now. If y'all put that scripture up, Genesis 12, 12, 1 through 3, it's the calling of Abraham. Abram uh, was called to leave where he lived and go into a land where he didn't know anything at all. And the scripture says, now the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your family and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bring good to you. I will make your name great, so you will be honored. And I will bring good to those who are good to you, and I will curse those who curse you. God, good will come to all the families of the earth because of you. The Lord was drawing Abraham out of the place where he was. He's from, he was from Babylonian, a town, a city actually called Ur. In that city, they had all the modern amenities. It was a wealthy city, large city. They had libraries, schools, laws. They worshiped many different types of gods as well. It was a cosmopolitan type of environment. They had worshiped idols. They had the god of sun, the god of the moon, stars. Uh, what did I miss? Moon, stars, fire. In fact, sin, capital S-I-N, was the idol deity of the city. Now, there's more we can dig into that, but you get the idea. Abraham was among a worldly environment. Now, he lived for God, but he was in a worldly environment. And God said, I don't want you there anymore. He said, I want you to pull away from that. And whenever you do something like that, people are not going to understand. So there's specific times in, in our lives when God comes to us, I believe, and says, leave where you are. Leave the comfort and the familiar and allow me to draw you apart from myself. So one, everybody say leave. leave. See, God draws us apart for himself. We're going to get to for himself in a minute, but God draws us, and there are specific times in our lives when God says, Sam, I need you to leave or to stop or to begin or whatever verb that is in your life. And my guess is that if you are a Christian and you've moved past that general calling of God in your life, you've at one time or another experienced that tug on your heart, that call of God that says, I want you to be, do something different than what you're doing right now. Hebrews 11.8 says, by faith, Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, 
even though he did not know where he was going. Not knowing where you're going. Now, that's good for children. It's good for the little boy who's running around and falling down. It's good for my little granddaughter who runs around in the grass. It's good for Tad, my little grandson, who, who jumps off things and runs and doesn't have any direction or where he's going. But when adults begin to do that, that's somewhat unacceptable in our minds. People don't do that, do they? Pastor Maz, last Sunday... If you were here, you remember him talking about being very careful about who we share God's call on our lives with. Be very careful because what often happens is that they will begin to question it begin to talk you out of it. And before you know it, you're questioning it yourself and talking yourself out of it. Abram, Abraham, when he was called by God to leave that place and go to a place where he didn't know where he was going, he began to pack things up, load things up, and my guess is like you, you could tell this story too. People came by and says, hey, Abram, you leaving? Yep. Says, where are you, you, you moving somewhere? Yes, I am. Wow, where, where are you moving to? I don't know. <laughs> and they go, ha, really? No, where are, you, where are you going? No, really, I don't know. I'm sure they were taken aback a little bit, and you see, people don't understand, oftentimes, they don't understand God's specific call on your life. And that's why you have to be very careful about who you talk to about it, and who you tell, and what you do, and how you proceed. But why should they? Okay, on the other side, I want to tell you, doesn't mean you shouldn't be bold about what you do and bold about responding. Why should they know? Why should the world expect that to be good? They don't. We don't, we're not, we're in the world, but not a part of the world. God calls us to new things and oftentimes individually specifically new things that the world will not understand. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It just means it might be a little difficult because nobody will understand it. We won't find the support from others that we're looking for, but we will find the support from God. And that's the point that God was trying to make with Abraham when he said, leave, come to the place where I'm going to show you because that's where I'm going to be. And that's where you will find the truth and the blessings for your life, complete truth and complete blessings. You know, Walt Disney, when he was alive and chairman of the board he would bring his board in, and some of you may know this, and he would talk to his board members, and he'd present an idea. And, and Disney has crazy ideas. And he would present an idea, and his boards would look, and sometimes they'd go, hey, that's pretty good, and we can do this. And, and Walt Disney would take that idea, and he'd go, well, that's good. Let's just, 
we'll, we'll put that on the table and think about that. And then he would bring up another idea. And as the board would begin to say why they didn't think it would work and what they couldn't do and why it was a bad idea, Walt Disney typically would say, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be counter to everything that we as humans who have a bent to sin, have a bent to the negative, we're going to counter that and stretch your faith and make it happen. Abraham, God said, I want to stretch your faith and make that happen. What's interesting is that, is that Abraham did not go out in blind faith. He didn't know where he was going, but it wasn't blind faith. You see, blind faith is really not faith at all. Blind faith is, I think it's really for sissies. Blind faith is superstition. It's guessing. It has no substance. Blind in faith have no room or have no reason even to be in the same room. Christian faith, on the other hand, is based on substance. In fact, the Bible says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, evidence is a noun, which means proof. There's a concreteness in faith. It's clear. It's plain. Abram, Abram, later called Abraham, he stepped out in faith, clear and undeniable word of God, and looked to God in everything he did, believing the very best. And everybody, can everybody say, leave? leave. Everybody say, look. look. Say, he looked to God. You know, that's, that's sort of the other half of it. When we leave, in fact, Abram's life was a story of what it means to be holy. It means to be separated from the world or from something, but not just separated from it and then nothing. That's sort of what salvation is. Separate yourself from the sin in your life, but don't stop there. We're separated from something to God. So Abraham was called from this world, but he was called to look to God, to set, and he set his eyes on him. So when you're looking, when you're out there, when you're called to leave, and I know, I bet if I asked, and if we're all honest, there's been times in your life when you felt a little tap on your shoulder from the Holy Spirit or the tug in your heart, and God said, leave, stop, move, whatever it was, he's called you out of that, and, and you didn't quite know what to do. Well, the idea is, is to leave, but then to look to him. See, Christian faith is not blind faith. It's God getting you out of that situation so that all you can do is look to him, strongly believing in him. You know, there's something romantic, if you think about it, about leaving the familiar. 
and going out into the unknown. You know, I have this grand idea, you know, going across the country, not a map, don't need it. Just, you know, move out and go somewhere. There's some romance to that. Okay, but there's also leaving the familiar and looking into the unknown is difficult, again, because very few people will understand. They will not understand. About 37 years ago, a 19-year-old girl said, I do. Now, 19 is too young. Do not, do not, do not get married at 19. No one. No, you can't. Okay. Now that I got that off the table, okay. But Teresa... She, you know, uh, Sarah, you know, bless her heart. You know, she didn't know what she was getting into when she married me. She was marrying at the time, she was marrying a geophysicist. I was majoring geophysics, and then I took a left turn on her. I said, you know, I'm going to go to seminary. And so we packed up, and we went to seminary, young and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and Lauren was born up in Kentucky, and and, and Lauren talked like this for years after we moved back. <laughs> but she doesn't anymore. I've been in Texas a while. Uh, um, went to seminary. Did all the things I was supposed to do to become an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. Met with the boards, answered all their questions, and for about 20 years... I pastored several different churches, and then about year 15 or 17, 18, somewhere in that range, there, there began to be an unsettling in my life. I, I, didn't, I didn't like me doing what I was doing. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Everybody, everybody liked me. The, the churches loved and appreciated the service I was providing them, and, and all that was good. And, and I, had a, I had, it was a cushy job. I don't know if you know about the denominational system, especially United Methodist Church. It's like, it's like it, once you're an ordained elder, it's like you're a tenured professor, you know, you, you have a job. You, you're not, you don't have to worry about not having a job. You have one. So, so everything was good and life was good, except there was this tug, this pull, this I don't know what it was. At the same time, that was going on in my life. I, I began, and probably was both of these together, but I began to recognize that a lot of the denominational churches were, were moving away from their theological base of where they started and began to be more uh, conducive to, uh, to what politically was correct and, and moved out of really the roots of who we are as Christians. So those two things going on, and, and, and for about couple of years I struggled with it and then finally I, I said look I've, I've, I've had it I, I, I can't do this uh, I've got to leave and I think I well don't think I probably know I scared Teresa 
to the core. We were making a good living. We had a good life. We had all the things that, you know, you, you have. And, and, and she goes, well, what are you going to do? I go, I don't know. And, and she says, you can't not know. You can't leave and not know. You have to know. I, I, yeah, it's like that teenager. Why did you do that? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, I'm taking a side note now. You know, teenagers, you ask them that question, they, they always say, I don't know. They really don't know, okay? They really have no idea why they do things. So, so you have to cut them a little slack. But, but so, so after a while, you know, and I, and I know our kids said, oh, my gosh, what is dad doing has he gone crazy? What will my friends think? And all of that. And, and so finally I, I wrote a letter to the congregation and read it and, and, and resigned from that position. And in the Methodist church, on a side note, in the Methodist church, you don't have to pastor church. You can still hang on to your, ord, your ordination. Still hold that tenure card. You know, so I was kind of hoping to do that. And I know a lot of people that did. And, and for some reason, they didn't let me do that. They let other people do that, but not me. And, and later I realized, hey, that's God. When God calls you to leave, he calls you to leave. Leave it all behind. Move into something new. Pack up, load up, take off. You know, it, it wasn't... And so we, we, the next couple of years, we, we struggled. We struggled. We spent more money than we had. We got rid of all the things that we had. And, and that, that wasn't as bad. And that wasn't bad at all, actually. What was, what was troubling was the rumors and innuendos when we left. It was, oh my gosh, I think Sam is having a nervous breakdown. We need to just give him some time. Hope he's going to be okay. And, well, you know, I think it might be because not just that, but I think they may be getting a divorce. I wonder what the kids are going to do. And, and, and then it wasn't that. It, it, it was... It was you know, it's really what they haven't said. He obviously has done something in the church to cause them to kind of move him out. I wonder what that could be. And, and our friends were scarce. The parents of our children were cordial to us because they had to be. But life was not fun for those couple of years as we, as I, as I wondered and wondered and thought, what am I going to do? Where am I going to plant my feet? I don't know what to do, God. You know, sometimes that's the best place that we can be is totally dependent on God, you're going to have to put something in my lap because I don't know. You know, I, I can, I worked. You know, I did things. So it wasn't like I, I was just sitting on the couch in my house coat. No, I was working and doing, but I was searching and seeking at the same time. You know, the beauty 
I guess, of looking for God is that what I discovered is that he's just a prayer away. And and we have been, when we've been so conditioned to have everything planned out, outlined in our life, operating the way Abraham operated, it's a little unsettling. Pack up, here's his plan, load up, take off. All right, what's the address? I'll put it in the navigation system and I'll be there. You know, that's just not the way we operate. We don't do that. Well, I will tell you that if you've been called and if you've stepped out and if you've done that, you will know that there are not enough books to read, conferences to attend, classes to take to make you feel comfortable. It won't happen. All I had and all my wife and kids had was prayer at that time. But remember, faith is not a feeling. It's a concrete belief in the mighty hand of God living in me and living through me. It's the expectancy that God is going to provide and do and bless in everything that I'm about because actually ultimately that's all I have. God, I've got to put my life in your hands because I've got nothing else. Every day I talk with people who are getting ready to retire. I will tell you, it's an interesting conversation, but it's all the same conversation. They've calculated, they've evaluated everything in every way that they can. Can they retire? Will they retire? Do I need to work? It's all the, I'm not making light of it. It is a process, but it's all the same. When you spend 30 or 40 or 20 or whatever it is, years employed, the idea of retirement is a little daunting. It's, it's tough. Some have said it's like, and, and those of you who are getting ready to retire, some have said it's like they put you in this little rowboat. You've been over here on this continent. They put you in this rowboat. They shove you off and tell you to paddle real hard. And look out there, there's this little island over there. When you get over there, that'll really be good, and you'll enjoy it, and you'll have a fun time. But when you're here, you can't see over there, so you have no idea, and so you struggle with that. But unlike retirement, the unsettling and the confidence in God is just a prayer away. You know, everybody say leave. Everybody say look. And then everybody say, live. That's the, that's the third point, if there's points to this at all. But to live is to rest in the promises of God. That's really what it's about. That's really what God wanted Abram to see. He said, you've got all those fine things in that city. Those are all wonderful. And, and I know you could make it amidst all of that junk that's there, but I want more for you. I want you to rest in my promises. I want you to rest in my spirit. You know, sometimes that's all God wants us to do is to rest in him. 
I guess I, I wrote this down. I said, stop planning. Stop trying to manipulate your faith to fit your life. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my way is easy and my load is light, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus was counseling this young, rich man who had everything, who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I need to do to really inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you keep the commandments and you do the, and, and the young man said, I'm doing all of those. What else do I have to do? And Jesus said, you have to sell everything you have, give to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible says that when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, I'm not telling you to leave your job and to sell your house and to move even uh, to Guatemala, I am telling you that the only way you'll find rest you so desire and the life that's filled with the promise of God is to take a step forward, to answer the call of God's undeniable truth for your life, the specific call that God's telling you and calling you and tugging at you. I know that many of you are tired. I know that. Some of you are exhausted living for God. The rich young man, he had done everything right. But your Christian energy meter is way low and it's almost empty. When our son came back from Iraq after three tours, uh, and along with thousands of other Marines and soldiers and Navy and airmen, they come back. Their adrenal glands are fried to a crisp. They're on empty. They have nothing to give. There's nothing that excites them. That has to be built up again. And for many of them, it's just too much for them to, uh, to overcome unless they pray and allow God to restore their lives. And in a sense, Christians do the same thing. They work hard all their lives doing the things they think God would have them do rather than being the person God would have them be. And I promise you'll find energy that you never thought possible if you'll simply pray. And what we're going to do now, I'm taking a side note. I'm going to talk a little bit, and I'm going to pray briefly. I'm going to talk, pray, talk, pray. Then our band is going to come and sing a song that allows you to sit and ask God to touch your heart again. But so those of you who have your Christian energy meter almost empty, you might pray a prayer like this, and let's pray. Lord, I turn to you without plans and simply want to rest in you. 
Take my heart. Hold my life. Restore my soul. Then there are some of you or some of us that maybe we feel like we've made too much of a mess out of our lives for God to even call to use us. And so we're satisfied to sort of sit on the edge, burdened by guilt or shame. Now I could tell you that guilt does not come from God, but you already know that but you feel trapped anyway. And for some, Prozac dulls the pain, but it doesn't take away the feeling. It's only prayer. And maybe you need to pray a prayer like this, and let's pray, Lord, your unconditional love, may it overwhelm me and call me to rest in you. Set me free, Lord. Help me to faithfully love you and love myself. And then there are people, maybe some of you, who you feel like you've been scattered about. Your life is in pieces. And so what you've done, you've organized your life. You've compartmentalized your life. I have my work. And in this time, with this, and then our area, most people who have a job or got their nose to the grindstone and are going to work as hard as they possibly can just to keep that job. And then in the other end, but then they got their kids tugging at them. They need to go to soccer practice or karate or dance lessons and, or the doctor. And then, then they've got their parents who are calling them and tugging at them. And, 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 and then they forget, oh, I got to take care of the lawn. And, and then, oh, wait a minute, I'm married. My wife or my husband, they deserve a little time from me as well. And then, then there's the church and my commitment there. Lord, please don't call me to do anything else. I'll disintegrate. A few weeks ago, Pastor Frankie talked about the feeding of the 5,000. You may remember. But one of the, one of the scripture verses in the passage after the 5,000 had been fed Jesus told his disciples he said gather up the fragments that nothing may be lost and while there's a whole message in that one phrase the truth of it is is that Jesus loves all of you and wants all of you and he calls you to gather up all that you are and bring it to him so that he can hold it in his arms and lovingly anoint it so that you feel the healing balm in your life over the busyness that is trying to distract you. Paul knew this principle when he wrote his letter to the Romans and he said, all things, everything, Every little fragment, God works for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things, every part of your life has meaning. And sometimes God calls us to take 
all that you are and all that you have and place it at his feet and pray. And maybe pray a prayer like this. Let's pray. Lord, I can't keep up with it all. I try. But no longer am I able to do all of this on my own. I love you, Lord. Please help me leave these burdens at your feet and allow me to rest in your grace. Let's stand. God operates on Kairos time. That's God timing. That's eternal timing. But God has given us a gift of Kronos time, the 24-hour-a-day time, the seven-day-a-week time, the 12-months-in-a-year time. And he gave us that so that we could use God's time in a wise way. We all are going to be celebrating a new year. And in a sense, it's God's way of saying, begin again. I'm calling you out again into a new life. Leave the old behind. Tear off every encumbrance that holds you back what the Bible says and run the race as fast as you can oh you may fall and you may stumble but get up and keep running and keep running run to Jesus in a minute the band is going to play a song called tell your heart to beat again And if you want, just sit there and allow the words of that song to soak into your hearts. If you want to come forward at that time, come forward. The altar will be open. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that God has a specific call for you and you and you and you and me. Maybe it's time that we stir up that flame again and move forward. Maybe it's time that we leave. Maybe it's time that we look only to Jesus and live in the promises of his blessings.